The Autobiography of Goethe, Volume 1, by Johann von Goethe, translated by John Oxenford, Section 10. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Goethe, Volume 1, by Johann von Goethe translated by john oxenford section ten third book part one at that time the general interchange of personal good wishes made the city very lively on new year's day those who otherwise did not easily leave home donned their best clothes that for a moment they might be friendly and courteous to their friends and patrons the festivities at my grandfather's house on this day were pleasures particularly desired by us children at early dawn the grandchildren had already assembled there to hear the drums oboes clarinets trumpets and cornets played upon by the military the city musicians and whoever else might furnish his tones the new year's gifts sealed and superscribed were divided by us children among the humbler congratulators and as the day advanced the number of those of higher rank increased the relations and intimate friends appeared first then the subordinate officials even the gentlemen of the council did not fail to pay their respects to the shuthis and a select number were entertained in the evening in rooms which were else scarcely opened throughout the year the tarts biscuits marchpane and sweet wine had the greatest charm for the children and besides the schuthseths and the two burgomasters annually received from some institutions some article of silver which was then bestowed upon the grandchildren and godchildren in regular gradation in fine the small festival was not wanting in any of those things which usually glorify the greatest the new year's day of seventeen fifty nine approached as desirable and pleasant to us children as any preceding one but full of import and foreboding to older persons to the passage of the french troops people certainly had become accustomed and they happened often but they had been most frequent in the last days of the past year according to the old usage of an imperial town the warder of the chief tower sounded his trumpet whenever troops approached and on this new year's day he would not leave off which was a sign that large bodies were in motion on several sides they actually marched through the city in greater masses on this day and the people ran to see them pass by we have generally been used to see them go through in smaller parties but these gradually swelled and there was neither power nor inclination to stop them in short on the second of january after a column had come through sachsenhausen over the bridge through the fargasse as far as the police guardhouse it halted overpowered the small company which escorted it took possession of the before-mentioned guardhouse, marched down to Zeal, and after a slight resistance, the main guard were also obliged to yield. In a moment, the peaceful streets were turned into a scene of war, 
the troops remained and bivouacked there until lodgings were provided for them by regular billeting this unexpected and for many years unheard of burden weighed heavily upon the comfortable citizens and to none could it be more cumbersome than to my father who was obliged to take military inhabitants into his scarcely finished house to open for them his well-furnished reception rooms which were generally closed and to abandon to the caprices of strangers all that he had been used to arrange and keep so carefully siding as he did with the prussians he was now to find himself besieged in his own chambers by the french it was according to his way of thinking the greatest misfortune that could happen to him had it however been possible for him to have taken the matter more easily he might have saved himself and us many sad hours since he spoke french so well and could deport himself with dignity and grace in the daily intercourse of his life for it was the king's lieutenant who was quartered on us and he although a military person had only to settle civil occurrences disputes between soldiers and citizens and questions of debt and quarrels this was the count thorain a native of grassi in province not far from antibes a tall thin stern figure with a face much disfigured by the smallpox black fiery eyes and a dignified reserved demeanour his first entrance was at once favourable for the inmates of the house they spoke of the different apartments some of which were to be given up and others retained by the family and when the count heard a picture-room mentioned he immediately requested permission although it was already night at least to give a hasty look at the pictures by candlelight he took extreme pleasure in these things behaved in the most obliging manner to my father who accompanied him and when he heard that the greater part of the artists were still living and resided in frankfurt and its neighborhood he assured us that he desired nothing more than to know them as soon as possible and to employ them but even this sympathy in respect to art could not change my father's feelings or bend his character he permitted what he could not prevent but kept a distance in inactivity and the uncommon state of things around him was intolerable to him even the veriest trifle count thorain behaved himself meanwhile in an exemplary manner he would not even have his maps nailed on the walls that he might not injure the new hangings his people were skilful quiet and orderly but in truth as during the whole day and a part of the night there was no quiet with him one complainant quickly following another arrested persons being brought in and let out and all officers and adjutants being admitted to his presence as moreover the count kept an open table every day it made in the moderately sized house arranged only for a family and with but one open staircase running from top to bottom a movement and a buzzing like that in a beehive although everything was managed with moderation gravity and severity as mediator between the irritable master of the house who became daily more of a hypochondriac self-tormentor and his well-intentioned but stern and precise military guest 
there was a pleasant interpreter a handsome corpulent lively man who was a citizen of frankfurt spoke french well knew how to adapt himself to everything and only made a jest of many little annoyances through him my mother had sent to the count a representation of the situation in which she was placed owing to her husband's state of mind he had explained the matter so skilfully had laid before him the new and scarcely furnished house the natural reserve of the owner his occupation in the education of his family and all that could be said to the same effect that the count who in his capacity took the greatest pride in the utmost justice integrity and honourable conduct resolved here also to behave in an exemplary manner to those upon whom he was quartered and indeed never swerved from this resolution upon varying circumstances during the several years he stayed with us my mother possessed some knowledge of italian a language not altogether unknown to any of the family she therefore resolved to learn french immediately for which purpose the interpreter for whose child she had stood godmother during these stormy times and who now therefore as a gossip footnote the obsolete word gossip has been revived as an equivalent for the german gavater but it should be observed that this word not only signifies godfather but that the person whose child has another person for godfather or godmother is that person's gavater or gavaterin feminine and footnote felt a redoubled interest in her house devoted every spare moment to his child's godmother for he lived directly opposite and above all he taught her those phrases which she would be obliged to use in her personal intercourse with the count this succeeded admirably the count was flattered by the pains taken by the mistress of the house at her age and as he had a cheerful witty vein in his character and he liked to exhibit a certain dry gallantry a most friendly relation arose between them and the allied godmother and father could obtain from him whatever they wanted if as i said before it had been possible to cheer up my father this altered state of things would have caused little inconvenience the count practised the severest disinterestedness he even declined receiving gifts which pertained to his situation the most trifling thing which could have borne the appearance of bribery he rejected angrily and even punished his people were most strictly forbidden to put the proprietor of the house to the least expense we children on the contrary were bountifully supplied from the dessert to give an idea of the simplicity of those times i must take this opportunity to mention that my mother grieved us excessively one day by throwing away the ices which had been sent us from the table because she would not believe it possible for the stomach to bear real ice however it might be sweetened besides these dainties which we gradually learned to enjoy and to digest with perfect ease it was very agreeable for us children to be in some measure released from fixed hours of study and strict discipline 
my father's ill-humor increased he could not resign himself to the unavoidable how he tormented himself my mother the interpreter the counsellors and all his friends only to rid him of the count in vain they represented to him that under existing circumstances the presence of such a man in the house was an actual benefit and that the removal of the count would be followed by a constant succession of officers or of privates none of these arguments had any effect to him the present seemed so intolerable that his indignation prevented his conceiving anything worse that could follow in this way his activity which he had been used chiefly to devote to us was crippled the lessons he gave us were no longer required with the former exactness and we tried to gratify our curiosity for military and other public proceedings as much as possible not only at home but also in the streets which was the more easily done as the front door open day and night was guarded by sentries who paid no attention to the running to and fro of restless children the many affairs which were settled before the tribunal of the royal lieutenant had quite a peculiar charm from his making it a point to accompany his decisions with some witty ingenious or lively turn what he decreed was strictly just his manner of expressing it whimsical and piquant he seemed to have taken the duke of osuna as his model scarcely a day passed in which the interpreter did not tell some anecdote or another of this kind to amuse us and my mother this lively man had made a little collection of such solomonian decisions but i only remember the general impression and cannot recall to my mind any particular case by degrees we became better acquainted with the strange character of the count this man clearly understood his own peculiarities and as there were times in which he was seized with a sort of dejection hypochondria or by whatever name we may call the evil demon he withdrew into his room at such hours which were often lengthened into days saw no one but his valet and in urgent cases he could not even be prevailed upon to receive any one but as soon as the evil spirit had left him he appeared as before active mild and cheerful it might be inferred from the talk of his valet saint jean a small thin man of lively good nature that in his earlier years he had caused a great misfortune when overcome by this temper and that therefore in so important a position as his exposed to the eyes of all the world he had earnestly resolved to avoid similar aberrations during the very first days of the count's residence with us all the frankfurt artists as hurt schutz trotman Nuthnagel, and junker were called to him they showed their finished pictures and the count bought such as were for sale my pretty light room in the gable end of the attic was given up to him and immediately turned into a cabinet and studio 
for he designed to keep all the artists at work for a long time, especially Seacott's of Darmstadt, whose pencil, particularly in simple and natural representations, highly pleased him. He therefore caused to be sent from Grassi, where his elder brother possessed a handsome house, the dimensions of all the rooms and cabinets, then considered, with the artists, the divisions of the walls, and fixed accordingly upon the size of the large oil pictures, which were not to be set in frames, but to be fastened upon the walls like pieces of tapestry. And now the work went on zealously. Seacats undertook country scenes, and succeeded extremely well in his old people and children, which were copied directly from nature. His young men did not answer so well. They were almost all too thin, and his women failed from the opposite cause. For as he had a little, fat, good, but unpleasant-looking wife, who would not let him have no model but herself, he could produce nothing agreeable. He was also obliged to exceed the usual size of his figures. His trees had truth, but the foliage was over minute. He was a pupil of Brinkman, whose pencil in easel pictures is not contemptible. Schutz, the landscape painter, had perhaps the best of the matter. He was thoroughly master of the Rhine country and of the sunny tone which animates it in the fine season nor was he entirely unaccustomed to work on a larger scale, and then he showed no want of execution or keeping. His paintings were of a cheerful cast. Trautmann Rembrandtized some resurrection miracles out of the New Testament, and alongside of them set fire to villages and mills. One cabinet was entirely allotted to him, as I found from the designs of the rooms. Hurt painted some good oak and beech forests. His cattle were praiseworthy. Junker, accustomed to the imitation of the most elaborate Dutch, was least able to manage this tapestry work. But he condescended to ornament many compartments with flowers and fruits for a handsome price. As I had known all these men from my earliest youth, and had often visited them in their studios, and as the Count also liked to have me with him, I was present at the suggestions, consultations, and orders, as well as at the deliveries of the pictures, and ventured to speak my opinion freely when sketches and designs were handed in. I had already gained among amateurs, particularly at auctions, which I attended diligently, the reputation of being able to tell at once what any historical picture represented, whether taken from biblical or profane history, or from mythology. And even if I did not always hit upon the meaning of allegorical pictures, there was seldom anyone present who understood it better than I. Often had I persuaded the artist to represent this or that subject, and I now joyfully made use of these advantages. I still remember writing a circumstantial essay in which I described twelve pictures which were to exhibit the story of Joseph. Some of them were executed. After these achievements, which were certainly laudable in a boy, I will mention a little disgrace which happened to me within this circle of artists. 
I was well acquainted with all the pictures which had from time to time been brought into that room. My youthful curiosity left nothing unseen or unexplored. I once found a little black box behind the stove. I did not fail to investigate what might be concealed in it and drew back the bolt without long deliberation. The picture contained was certainly of a kind not usually exposed to view, and although I tried to bolt it again immediately, I was not quick enough. The Count entered and caught me. Who allowed you to open that box? he asked with all his air of royal lieutenant. I had not much to say for myself, and he immediately pronounced my sentence in a very stern manner. For eight days, he said, you shall not enter this room. I made a bow and walked out. Even this order I obeyed most punctually, so that the good Seacats, who was then at work in the room, was very much annoyed, for he liked to have me about, and out of a little spite I carried my obedience so far that I left Seacats's coffee, which I generally brought him upon the threshold. He was then obliged to leave his work and fetch it, which he took so ill that he well nigh began to dislike me. It now seems necessary to state more circumstantially and to make intelligible how, under the circumstances, I made my way with more or less ease through the French language, which, however, I had never learned. Here, too, my natural gift was of service to me, enabling me easily to catch the sound of a language, its movement, accent, tone, and all other outward peculiarities. I knew many words from the Latin, Italian suggested still more, and by listening to servants and soldiers, sentries and visitors, I soon picked up so much that, if I could not join in conversation, I could at any rate manage single questions and answers. All this, however, was little compared to the profit I derived from the theatre. My grandfather had given me a free ticket, which I used daily, in spite of my father's reluctance, by dint of my mother's support. There I sat in the pit, before a foreign stage, and watched the more narrowly the movement and the expression, both of gesture and speech, as I understood little or nothing of what was said, and therefore could only derive entertainment from the action and the tone of voice. I understood least of comedy, because it was spoken rapidly, and related to the affairs of common life, of the phrases of which I knew nothing. Tragedy was not so often played, and the measured step, the rhythm of the Alexandrines, the generality of the expression, made it more intelligible to me in every way. It was not long before I took up Racine, which I found in my father's library, and declaimed the plays to myself in the theatrical style and manner, as the organ of my ear and the organ of speech, so nearly akin to that, had caught it, and this with considerable animation, although I could not yet understand a whole connected speech. I even learned entire passages by rote, like a trained talking bird, which was easier for me from having previously committed to memory passages from the Bible, which are generally unintelligible to a child. 
and accustomed myself to reciting them in the tone of the protestant preachers the versified french comedy was then much in vogue the pieces of destouches marivaux and la chaussee were often produced and i still remember distinctly many characteristic figures of those of moliere i recollect less what made the greatest impression upon me was the hypernestra of lemire which as a new piece was brought out with care and often repeated the divindu village rosicoles annette et lubin made each a very pleasant impression upon me i can even now recall the youths and maidens decorated with ribbons and their gestures it was not long before the wish arose in me to see the interior of the theatre for which many opportunities were offered me for as i had not always patience to stay and listen to the entire plays and often carried on all sorts of games with other children of my age in the corridors and in the milder season even before the door a handsome lively boy joined us who belonged to the theatre and whom i had seen in many little parts though only casually he came to a better understanding with me than with the rest as i could turn my french to account with him and he the more attached himself to me because there was no boy of his age and his nation at the theatre or anywhere in the neighbourhood we also went together at other times as well as during the play and even while the representations went on he seldom left me in peace he was a most delightful little braggart chattered away charmingly and incessantly and could tell so much of his adventures quarrels and other strange incidents that he amused me wonderfully and i learned from him in four weeks more of the language and of the power of expressing myself in it than can be imagined so that no one knew how i had attained the foreign tongue all at once as if by inspiration in the very earliest days of our acquaintance he took me with him upon the stage and led me especially to the foyers where the actors and actresses remained during the intervals of the performance and dressed and undressed the place was neither convenient nor agreeable for they had squeezed the theatre into a little concert room so that there was no separate chambers for the actors behind the stage a tolerably large room adjoining which had formerly served for card parties was now mostly used by both sexes in common who appeared to feel as little ashamed before each other as before us children if there was not always the strictest propriety in putting on or changing the articles of dress i had never seen anything of the kind before and yet from habit after repeated visits i found it quite natural end of section 10 third book part 1